Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show for those interested in the big and small moments of history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the story behind one of the world's most recognizable brands and how it was almost known by a very different name. The day was May 30th, 1971. With its first shipment of shoes set to go out the next day, the Blue Ribbon Sports Company changed its name to Nike Incorporated. Today, the Oregon-based company is the largest seller of athletic footwear and apparel in the world. But in 1971, it was a fledgling business with less than 50 employees total. After six years of selling running shoes imported from Japan, Blue Ribbon Sports was finally ready to produce and distribute its own shoes. By May 30th, the first batch was almost ready to go. The only thing left to do was to print and assemble the shoe boxes. But to do that, the factory in New Mexico needed to know the new name of the company. Blue Ribbon Sports was tied up in prior contracts, so the staff had to come up with something else, and they didn't have much time left to do it. Printing could only be delayed until 9am that morning if they wanted to hit their deadline. So with the clock ticking and their new venture on the line, the company's employees launched a desperate bid to brainstorm the perfect brand name. 
The story of Nike began in the late 1950s with the meeting of two men, Phil Knight and Bill Bowerman. Knight was a business student at the University of Oregon and a middle-distance runner on the school's renowned track team. His coach was Bill Bowerman, a man so dedicated to his sport that he took lessons from a local cobbler just to learn how to make his own running shoes. Coach Bowerman wasn't happy with the caliber of track shoes available at the time. Recreational running and jogging weren't as popular as they are today, so there weren't that many options on the market. The few brands available were uncomfortable, clumsy, and didn't offer the support that runners needed. After learning the trade himself, Bowerman continuously tinkered with his own designs, experimenting with every form of material you could think of. Velvet, deer hide, fish skin, and even leather, made from kangaroos. The results of these experiments were routinely tested by Phil Knight, a willing guinea pig and so-so athlete who shared his coach's disdain for the sorry state of track shoes. Knight later recalled this early partnership, saying, quote, The American shoes were offshoots of tire companies. Shoes cost $5, and you would come back from a five-mile run with your feet bleeding. Then the German companies came in with $30 shoes, which were more comfortable, but Bowerman still wasn't satisfied. He believed that shaving an ounce off a pair of shoes for a guy running a mile could make a big difference. So Bowerman began making shoes himself, and since I wasn't the best guy on the team, I was the logical one to test the shoes. Phil Knight left the University of Oregon in 1959 with a bachelor's in business administration. He then enrolled in the Graduate School of Business at Stanford, where he was challenged to come up with a new small business idea and to create a marketing plan. The title of his paper was Can Japanese Sports Shoes Do to German Sports Shoes What Japanese Cameras Did to German Cameras? Knight theorized that running shoes could be produced more cost-efficiently in Japan than in Germany, as had been the case with cameras. And if that were true, it would enable his company to market the lower-cost shoes to high school and college athletes, who would finally be able to afford them. After graduating from Stanford in 1962, Knight spent the better part of two years traveling Japan and looking for a way to test his theory. This led him to the Onitsuka Shoe Factory in Kobe. The company was known for producing a high-quality Adidas lookalike called Tigers. The production costs were significantly lower than those produced in Germany, so Knight made a deal with Onitsuka to export the shoes and begin selling them in the U.S. However, he didn't embark on that venture alone. Instead, he brought in his old friend Coach Bowerman as a 50-50 partner. On January 25, 1964, the duo co-founded a brand new company, Blue Ribbon Sports. Things started small at first, with Knight traveling from one track meet to the next, selling Onitsuka Tigers out of the trunk of his car. By 1969, though, the country's growing interest in jogging had pushed Blue Ribbon Sports to over a million dollars in sales. They had proven there was demand for affordable but still high-quality running shoes, but that success led to other problems. Hoping to capitalize on the established interest, Onitsuka began courting other U.S. distributors, a move that threatened to cut Blue Ribbon Sports out of the market it helped create. Knights and Bowerman saw the writing on the wall. 
They knew that for their company to survive, it would have to become more than a middleman for another company's shoes. With that in mind, they cut ties with their Japanese partners in 1971 and began trying to manufacture and distribute their own shoes under their own label. To mark this fresh start, and to avoid further legal complications with Onitsuka, Knight decided to retire the Blue Ribbon name and create a stronger brand identity for the new shoe. The logo came before the name, compliments of Carolyn Davidson, a graphic design student at Portland State University, where Knight used to teach accounting. Davidson whipped up a few potential designs to show Knight, including the now-iconic swoosh, a kind of stylized checkmark. Knight was reportedly unimpressed, saying of the design, quote, Well, I don't love it, but maybe it will grow on me. It apparently did, as of course that's the logo the company wound up using. And if you're wondering about the going rate for a timeless logo in 1971, that would be $35. A decent deal for Carolyn Davidson at the time, but not so much in the long run. In late May of that year, with the shoes nearly finished and the logo decided on, the last step was to christen the company and its shoeboxes with a catchy new name. Knight made a big swing by proposing the name Dimension 6, reportedly because he was a fan of a 1960s pop group called The Fifth Dimension. Luckily for Phil, the rest of the team hated that name and quickly laughed it out of the running. Other employees suggested animal-based names, hoping to capture the same success as Puma, one of the industry's leading brands. Bangle, a type of tiger, and Peregrine, a type of falcon were both briefly considered, but neither was popular enough to seal the deal. The company-wide effort ultimately proved to be a bust. The new name was due the following morning, and there was no clear frontrunner. That's when longtime employee Jeff Johnson came to the rescue at the last possible minute. That night, according to Johnson, he had a dream about Nike, the Greek-winged goddess of victory. He woke up convinced that was the perfect name. It even aligned with an article he had read about how the best brand names were two-syllable words that feature strong-sounding letters like X and K. Think Kodak, Clorox, or Kleenex. At 7 a.m. on the morning of May 30th, Johnson called company president Bob Woodell and excitedly pitched him on the name Nike. Woodell was unconvinced but agreed to relay the idea to Phil Knight before the 9 a.m. deadline. In the end, Knight wasn't a fan of Nike either, but just like with the swoosh logo, he decided to give it a shot. With a factory deadline looming, he told Woodell, quote, I guess we'll go with the Nike thing for a while. I don't like any of the names, but I guess that's the best of the bunch. With that ringing endorsement, the company had finally found its new name. The first Nike-branded shoe hit store shelves three weeks later, on June 18, 1971. Despite some growing pains, the new company managed to sell $3.2 million worth of shoes in 1972, and from there, its profits doubled for each of the next 10 years. The company's transition from a small-time shoe importer to one of the world's most popular brands had officially begun. And all because Phil Knight had enough self-restraint to not insist on the name Dimension 6. 
I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can reach out directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.